This week, we present a special edition of Conversations on Healthcare. We talk with one of our own, our beloved Dr. Carl Lecce, who has just retired after four decades with Community Health Center here in Middletown, Connecticut. I think through this chat, you'll learn more about the history of community-based primary care for the underserved. Enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Conversations on Healthcare. I'm Mark Maselli, and I'm joined by Margaret Flinner, and we are here interviewing one of our heroes, Dr. <laughs> Carl Lecce. Uh, yeah. And today is his last day after 45 years of service at the Community Health Center. And uh, we couldn't be prouder of our relationship and partnership with Carl. Uh, he started back almost 45 years ago uh, yeah. in, in a week or so, but you and I met for the first time uh, back in uh, July, 1978, when you were just finishing up residency. You came to Middletown three years before you started, so yeah. 1975. How did you hear about the Middlesex Family Practice Program? Um, again, that was only one or two years old at the time, and uh, only because a bunch of my friends from medical school were coming to New England to do residencies mm -hmm. and various things, and so I just sort of started looking in New England, and right. you know. Middletown, it looked like, you know, maple trees in the autumn with <laughs> congregations, churches, want to, who would college want to town, come? right? Yeah. College yeah. town. I knew, I knew a friend, a good friend of mine from Middletown went to Wesleyan, yeah. or from, an, from Hershey went to Wesleyan. And uh, so I met some people there that had been at Wesleyan. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a nice yeah. sort of New England town. So I picked it. <laughs> but Carl, timing-wise, this is really the dawn of family medicine as a specialty, it, right? It was tell pretty us a close. Little, tell us a little bit about that. It had gone from general practice to family medicine with its own yeah, specialty they, residency training. They, they carved out their own specialty, their own certification, um, just to make it a, a sort of a more credible uh, way to work and specialty. Um, it was an interesting thing when I, me and my colleagues were uh, applying for residencies. The dean of students at Hershey told us all, and we were thinking of where to go to residency programs. And the big divide was: do you go to a academic medical center or do you go to a community hospital? Uh -huh. And you know, those of us that were interested in family medicine kind of leaned towards community Gee. hospitals. And even at Hershey, the dean of students, who was an academic, said, you know, that's the biggest mistake of your career. You <laughs> really need to be in a tertiary care hospital with other residents. And, and so it, it wasn't encouraged, but most of us disregarded it and went anyway to community well, you were, hospitals. You were real pioneers. Absolutely. Because that yeah. was a whole, a whole new area. Right. So you come to Middletown. Where, where, do you, where do you, for those of us, uh, uh, in Connecticut, where in Middletown did you end up living? Portland. <laughs> I, I ended up on Ridge Road, which was about five minutes from the hospital. Yeah. Rented an apartment there. And oh, that's great. And I remember exactly, it was $90 a month. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, times have changed. This might be the daily rate. That's right. <laughs> but then you, you come to Middlesex. Uh, very creative initiative. Yeah. D. Brown, I forget who was doing the who was who was the lead at that point. I think 
He was the yeah. head of the residency. He read, that yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, you had local practitioners who were all engaged in that, pediatrics, internal medicine. What was the, what was the mix there? Yeah, I mean, most of it, it was three years. Most of it was in the hospital, um, except for our model family practice unit. As was, part of the hospital. Yeah, which was yeah. next door to the hospital, yeah. but owned by the hospital. Yeah. Still going today? Uh, yep, actually, I think, well, not quite in the same place, but very close yeah. to the yeah. same place. Um, and then we did some training in various local um, practitioner's office. I, I remember there was a dermatology rotation in the dermatologist's office and yeah. general surgeon in the general surgeon's office. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it went. Did, did it have OB at that point or was that something that came later? It had OB. Um, uh, the OB department at Middlesex wasn't wildly enthusiastic right. about family doctors doing OB. And I mean, it, it sort of wasn't a tradition in New England with right. Yale and Harvard. And they right. sort of dominated how medical care was conceived. But one of the things that was unique was you weren't competing with other residents right. for intensive care right. experience or for pediatrics, newborn nursery, or any of that was the dean back at Hershey <laughs> maybe didn't fully appreciate what a challenge that is yeah. in the academic medical centers. And family medicine, you know, trying to do that at Yale would not have been right. a possibility, at least right. at that point in yeah. time. So you had great insight. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, it was decent training. I, you know, I don't have any qualms about it. Yeah. For those of you who follow conversations on healthcare and follow the work that we've been doing, uh, obviously you hear now about the health center, uh, our work. Uh, not only in Connecticut, Margaret, we have 200 locations, care for 150,000 people. Uh, we have offices uh, for our training program, uh, NEMA, the National Institute for Medical Assistance in Denver, uh, in Southern California, the Consortium, which is a program that Margaret started as the first nurse practitioner residency program uh, 15, 16 years ago, and now an accrediting body. And then we also do specialty care around the country to about four and a half million lives through our Confer Med. Uh, and then in our DC office, we have Weizmann Institute, uh, which is our policy arm. But the reality was when Dr. Lecce came to us, we, we were one small hallway. Mm. And I think uh, we had an opportunity to be with Carl yesterday. And he told this interesting story about the advice as he was thinking about where he should go. Um, I want to sort of say that there's bookends to what his dean told him or uh, <laughs> advisor to what advice he got coming to a community health center. I think many of our listeners, Margaret, are from the federally qualified health center world, yeah. the community health center world. They will appreciate this. Uh, one of the challenges that we all faced when we were much smaller about, is this the right decision to make? And Carl, maybe you could just <laughs> tell that story one more time. Yeah, when I was trying to, or when I finally had decided to go and I was telling people at the hospital where I, it was, I'm going up the street. And at that time, the relations from, with the hospital community and the community health center were not the best. Um, and it's, it's interesting, the social workers at the hospital said, great, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> uh, and then I always listen to the social workers. <laughs> and I talked to 
told this one cardiologist, and he said, hmm, well, that's fine, but what are you going to do when you grow up? You know? <laughs> and you can see what Carl helped us grow over these many, many years. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe just put a little finer point, those of you who uh, remember back to your origin stories, probably uh, some of this uh, reflects. So Carl comes in 75 to Middletown, 72, we start as a free clinic offering dental services first, and uh, we're in a small second floor walk-up, and um, the state comes knocking on our door saying, you know, where's your license? And we sort of ask the question of, do we need a license? Of course we did, and they did an inspection. Turned out our hallways were one inch too narrow. Um, and it, we find out later that probably 35 local providers, local physicians, had all signed a letter to the state saying, how is it possible? So when Carl talks about the sort of, the there was a struggle, certainly, we all face this at some point. But I say today we have great relationships in part because of the pioneer work you did That's right. Uh, in terms of building a relationship by which we got known for more than just be rabble rousers, but really for <laughs> a great practice of medicine, yeah. which you did. And I think uh, physicians who are listening here, uh, this is a true champion, seven days a week, Margaret. Well, and I think uh, it's important to note that how Carl earned that respect, of course, you were already known to many people from yeah. doing the residency, but if we dial back the arc of time, thinking, you know, on these bookend days of the beginning and, and where we are today, that was one of the big differences, right? Uh, Carl, uh, sorry, Carl was on call 24 seven, uh, but he managed all the admissions, newborn nursery to ICU to wherever in the hospital somebody needed to be. And that was the beginning, I think, of the creation of the community connection between the medical community and community health center, because real relationships developed out of that. And they became, when I joined a few years later, they were friends. Institutionally, there might be challenges, but in terms of the individuals, oh, yeah, the yeah, specialists, yeah. they were friends and colleagues who appreciated enormously that that patient seen in the emergency room had some place to be sent to for follow-up, right? The people who are attached. This is pre-Medicaid, except in a very limited way. It's the days of city welfare where you had to go to the town clerk's office and oh, get a right, get a little ticket right, right. to go see somebody if yeah. you wanted to get health care. It was a radically, radically different world. But the medical community at the hospital level really counted on Carl, Dr. Lecce, as the person they could then send patients to and to the community health center. And, and Carl, we've moved to the hospitalist program, but I can remember you tell, telling us, and you know, we run ConfirmEd, which does e-consults, but I remember Dr. Lecce coming back and say, uh, you know, I go to the hospital, I have an opportunity to pull the specialist aside, yeah, yeah. ask them questions and really have a conversation with them, sort of lost with the hospitalist world. But talk about the opportunities you had just to go back and consult with colleagues, pull them aside and get some feedback. Yeah. I mean, yeah, one of the positive aspects of, you know, working in the hospital, I mean, one, you got to know the specialist. And so you got to know who you would prefer to send your patients to and who not. And it was a lot easier just to pick up the phone and call them up and say, hey, can you give me a little, tell me Advice. what to do here? Yeah. Uh, you know, now most of the specialists are just names, so I, I don't know them, <laughs> you know. So that was one of the things that was lost. Uh, the other thing that was 
lost was sort of a lot of people then and now they go into the hospital end of life and so we sort of lost the end of life part of care i'm not saying i would really really want to go back sure. yeah. but yeah. i think that was one one loss of not going to the hospital anymore yeah. of, you know taking care of patients at right. the end yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely anyway you know, Margaret, I want to dial back a few more years from that, and maybe you could just walk through the the background of what was happening in 1980 with the HIV and what we mm -hmm. uncovered and, you know, yeah. the work, and maybe hear from Dr. Lecce about the work with the HIV patient. Sure. Well, as uh, everybody here knows, I came along a few years <laughs> after uh, Carl in 1980 as a National Health Service Corps uh, scholar assigned to the Community Health Center. My great good fortune to be assigned and Mark <laughs> accepting me for uh, an assignment down on Main Street in that one hallway that I always call the original team-based care model, right. though we didn't quite call it team-based care, but we had everything, dental, behavioral health, medicine, yeah. and a home visitor, the forerunner of the, the home visitation programs. Uh, for new parents. And, and I would say, you know, those, those first few years were tremendous learning, family practice, pretty much what one might have been expected to do. And then uh, we were in the mid-80s reading the weekly, monthly morbidity and mortality report from CDC about pneumocystis carini identified in a, a small group of people in San Francisco. And Carl and I were saying, what is this? <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was very very short period of time before the AIDS crisis arrived full-blown. And Carl, you so stepped up to the challenge on that. Tell us about that, how, how you remember it unfolding and the work that you did to try and provide the very best that we could for people with limited options. Yeah, I remember a, we didn't have like large number of HIV patients, but we had some and, uh, and sort of we just, we, did the best we could. Um, at the time, it was basically, there was one drug, which right. was AZT. That's and, right. And we used it, and, you know, retrospectively, it didn't do anything <laughs> except make people anemic. Um, and I remember making some home visits right. on HIV patients. And probably out of those experiences, we formed the OASIS program. That's mm -hmm. right. Really had the supportive the center. Yeah. yeah uh, down on Ferry Street, also yeah. down at the, close to the hospital, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Preston Street. Uh, how were those, uh, how was it to have that support network as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was very helpful to have other people sort of being on the team, helping the patients. And yeah. uh, they had groups and, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, that was that was helpful. Yeah, right. and then we had a first line seat on the advent of testing that was reliable, though a little complicated, yeah. of treatments yeah. that began to be effective, yeah. of the ability to engage yeah. with public health and infectious disease, but really led to our developing the specialty here to be able to fully manage yeah. HIV yeah. care. And and of course we saw the advent in women uh, as well very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, then, I mean, from the single ineffective AZT drug, it, then it became much more complicated with multiple drugs, multiple regimens, resistance. Um, and at that point, it, I personally sort of handed off to ID people in town because it, it became a little complicated for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. And then we had... Uh, 
be a couple of infectious disease people that would come up every week and mm -hmm. discuss yeah. patients and care. Um, so that was, that was actually a, a good program at that point. Right, yeah. right. On the parallel track, we're also engaged in domestic violence. And we start a, a battered women's shelter and really having that relationship of New Horizons, again, not um, in, in, uh, in the facility, but uh, a shelter for them. Obviously, over the years, lots of domestic violence issues. As a practitioner, what, you know, what were the struggles that you faced and how, how were having the resources of a battered women's shelter help, helpful? Um, having the resources was great. Um, before that, there was very little that, at least as a single practitioner or in a small group, that you know you could do. Um, so having both the physical shelter and the shelter personnel that would, you know, come to the office, make contact with the patients, if it needed to go through the court system, they would help them with the court system. So. That was terrific. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I, you know, it was just very frustrating because a single person in an office right. couldn't couldn't really deal with it. Right. Yeah. 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 And gave us a much deeper understanding yeah. of, of the issues, and sure. and I think made us better at just recognizing it yeah. in primary care, which is a big challenge. You know, we uh, you know those few years marched on. So much happened. I marked the late eighties beginning of the deinstitutionalization of people with chronic mental illness. We yeah. are in a beautiful community up on the hill overlooking it is <laughs> a classic state psychiatric facility that had been there since the 1800s. Right. On uh, the other hill is Wesleyan University. On the other so. hill is Wesleyan. Very, <laughs> some similar architecture there, uh, divided by the Connecticut River and Main Street. But it was, uh, it was born of the desire to uh, stop the isolation and stigmatization yeah. of patients, which was all very positive, and yet the preparation at the level of the community was yeah. not quite so. And I think much fell to primary care and much fell to community health center in terms of responding and suddenly having uh, the challenge of integrating healthcare with uh, psychiatric care and homelessness. Tell us about what you remember about those days. Ooh, do I remember? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a challenge. Um, a lot of the folks um, would come out of the institutions, and they would end up homeless. They would end up using drugs. They would end up that their psychiatric illness would relapse. Um, there was a you know a community mental health yep. center affiliated with the hospital in town. I'm not sure it was up to the total challenge of, mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. times, but uh, they were there. Mm -hmm. And then at some point we developed our behavioral health. That's right. We expanded. I don't right. exactly. Right, well, we added our child guidance clinic in 86, 87, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with a uh, feeling a real need and became the designated child guidance clinic. But our behavioral health services, which had pretty much served our patient population, yeah. With a few, one yeah. or two we therapists. Had, I mean, we had Eileen Schakowsky from, right. from the very, very beginning. Early, yeah. social worker. Yeah, but they really expanded yeah. in order to embrace the full range of behavioral health services and really became, I think, one of the foundations which allowed us then so many years later to 
expand into the schools in such a And it's kind way. of interesting. We we now talk about warm handoffs, but there was a warm handoff oh, in the very, hallway very warm. Uh, back when you came in 78 that <laughs> <laughs> you were just right. you were able to do that. But team-based care right. is really something. And we've tried to, when we moved over to our newer building and across the state as we built out facilities, trying to move from what you experienced when you came, you had a solo office. Yeah. You, you didn't really have a solo office, yeah. but you had, <laughs> you had a... You, you had a closet. Um, but uh, how was that transition? Because that, that was really the beginning of this choreography of care delivery yeah. that really changed. And geography was important, yeah. right, in terms of bringing people together. Yeah. So you had that older experience of a single office yeah. moving into the pods. We'll talk a little bit about that yeah. transformation. Yeah, the, the single office, um, looking back on it, was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it may have just be, been born out of that's all we had, but the dentist was there and the social worker was there. And, um, and then I think we had somebody to sort of help with entitlements and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of got bigger and we, and, you know, just by what was available, we had to be in sort of different buildings. Yep. So the behavioral health moved to a building that was about 100 feet away. Um, and you know, they needed the space because we didn't have enough space originally to house them all. And, and it sort of made a little bit of a difference as far as access and communication and coordination. Um, and then after that, we got our current building where everything then came back together. So yeah. it's sort of full circle. <laughs> I forget, we, we, there was some phrase that we had a parking lot gap between medical and behavioral health. There was some, you know, there was some yeah. chasm that happened, yeah. even though it was like 100 feet away. So we, we did, I, I do remember, we did in what we call the bowling alley, which, yeah. you know, there was the one hallway, then we moved to the bowling alley. Um, we did take a crowbar to the walls between a few offices and create pods as an experiment. That's so right. that was our kind of intermediary step before yeah. moving yeah. Uh, to uh, our peace and health building, as we call it, which really took pods to a very intentional design. Yeah, let's shift to what you said uh, was a, a difficult time, which was the pandemic itself. Yeah. And uh, it really just changed the entire way we uh, did business and probably will be with us for a long time in terms of mm -hmm. how care is. But what were some of your early reflections on March of 2020? <laughs> um, and, you know, we were, I think in February, we were had uh, Dr. Fauci on telling us about, you know, COVID, COVID's, is it here? We were all focusing on Seattle. Was it Seattle? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Dr. Fauci said to us, 20,000 people from China come to America every single day of the week on an airplane. <laughs> and we said, it's everywhere, right? Warning. So we, but Warning. we're all out in, is there, right. one, is there another case in Seattle? But it was right. really, it right. was everywhere. Right. Um, you know, at the beginning, it create lots of anxiety among, you know, the, the medical staff. And, you know, one of our colleagues would get a stuffy nose or get a fever and everybody would be worried, you know, and the, and the testing and the mask and, you know, weren't quite sure should be we wearing gowns and gloves and masks. And so lots of uncertainty, lots of anxiety. Um, and then we sort of flipped over to doing everything remotely. So 
for a while. Yeah. I spent a year at a building across the street. Right. <laughs> Huge building. <laughs> Beautifully, beautiful like office. 20 <laughs> desks, one person, <laughs> you know, talking to people on the screen. And, you know, it was doable. Wouldn't be my preference to, you know, do that yeah. all the time. Yeah. But we used to send people over to visit you <laughs> keep you from getting too lonely. Um, so, yeah, there's the sort of a year sitting alone in front of a computer screen. You um, got through it and then, then things eased up. But, yeah, it was the, the beginning was, was anxiety producing yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Margaret, as we sort of wrap up with, with Carl, maybe talk a little bit about his role as a preceptor. Oh, of and course. Just, of course. I think what's important probably to many of the medical directors listening, um, just training the next generation. Right. And <laughs> I will say, uh, speaking as somebody who arrived as a brand new uh, nurse practitioner in 1980, I want to thank you for being the best mentor anybody could have. Uh, and again, the level of collegiality, yeah. mutual respect, uh, but also just your willingness to share your vast knowledge and all that you had seen yeah. was incredible. Uh, and I think uh, pretty much from the time I was here anyway, we always had students. We had students from different schools. You know, we had nurse practitioner students. We had some medical students yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, developed a great relationship with Middlesex Family Medicine Residency for the OB prenatal program. So they kind of are here and run that. So that's been a nice yeah. uh, updating of that relationship. But when we made the decision to start the nurse practitioner postgraduate residency uh, program here at CHC, you, along with many uh, yeah. providers, became a preceptor, but you have been absolutely instrumental as a preceptor. And I wonder if you could talk with us a little bit about your experience. You've been doing it now for 16, 17 years. <laughs> um, Generations have been trained by you. Yeah, I, I generally enjoyed it, you know, teaching people, sharing knowledge. Um, I mean, I think it happened fairly seamlessly. Um, a, a little bit prior to that, I would take medical students. Mm -hmm. um, an interesting thing about the, one of the very first medical students I had, they were from UConn, and one of the, one of the perks of taking a medical student is, and that was so long ago, they, they gave you free UConn women's basketball tickets. Wow. Because nobody wanted them. That, that would be a heck of an incentive today. Uh, Go Husky. Uh, but it sort of started with a few medical students and mm -hmm. then went into the nurse practitioner residency. And um, I don't know, it just, it seemed fairly natural to me. I didn't, I don't remember it having a lot of, oh, I had self-consciously do this yeah, you know yeah. it's just yeah, okay we'll do it and, yeah. and it seems to it's kind of enjoyable and yeah. i kind of enjoy it they kind of enjoy it so it, it works out four hours you don't have to deal with patients you know <laughs> a week <laughs> interesting for you you can go back and look up the things yourself uh but we can tell you uh and we were just at the uh con consortium conference in washington uh earlier this week yeah. and uh Part of the buzz were alums who are all over the country now, several of them running their own programs. Ellie Whitejack out in uh, Seattle, Seattle, Jessica Horseman in Hawaii, Tanya Tarot starting up a program in New Orleans. Of course, our own Nicole Seagriff, who's here at CHC, is the clinical director Absolutely. of the program. 
but everybody talked, uh, they'd all gotten the note that you were leaving. Oh. Everybody talked about how important you were to them as a preceptor. And again, the same things that I look back on as formative, the collegiality, the mutual yeah. respect, the willingness to share the incredible font of knowledge because you truly have seen just about everything. <laughs> we think, you never know in healthcare, but we think you've seen just about everything and great, great gratitude and also role modeling for what it means to serve in that capacity. Thank you. And I wanna just again, on behalf of the uh, family of uh, individuals who work here and who've been part of our history and patients in the community and civic leaders throughout the community, thank Dr. Lecce for his service and we wish him well, but we will see him on Main Street often. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Carl. Thank yep. you for everything. You're welcome. This copyrighted program is produced by Conversations on Healthcare and cannot be reproduced or retransmitted in whole or in part without the express written consent from Community Health Center, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Conversations on Healthcare or its affiliated entities.